On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Divine. And Divine was in an abusive marriage with a rage-filled partner who loved to self-medicate. It's a story about walking on eggshells, making sure everything is just right, and losing yourself for the sake of avoiding explosions. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, a podcast that gives a voice to survivors of narcissistic abuse. I am Brandon Chadwick, but my friends call me Chad, and thanks for tuning in to this episode. So what is a narcissist, you may ask? Well, for the purposes of this podcast, we refer to a narcissist as anyone who has displayed a pattern of behavior that shows a limited capacity to appreciate others' perspectives. It is that simple. And now, before we get to our episode with Divine, I just wanted to thank everyone in the Narcissist Apocalypse community for listening to the show and sharing your thoughts by email, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. A big shout out to all of our friends on our Narcissist Apocalypse Facebook support group for just being a great group of people. Also, a reminder, if you haven't left us a review on whatever podcast service you use, Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, CastBox, etc., etc., leave us a five-star written review as it helps out our show when it comes to rankings. Now, if you want to be part of our show, go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com and fill out the guest form. At the top of the page, it says guest form. Click on it. There'll be a form. Fill it out. Send it over. And we'll go from there. But the quickest way to be part of our show is to also go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com and to read a letter to your narcissist. And to be part of our Letters to Our Narcissist compilation episode, we have a voicemail recorder on our page. It's on the right side of the page. It's very hard to miss. It's floating around. Click on that button and away you'll go. It records up to five minutes, so record as many times as you need. And if you don't want to read the letter yourself... Send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com and myself or Melissa, my old pal Melissa, will read your letter for you on that episode. We have more stuff for you, more podcasts. Yes, that's true. We now have another podcast called Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, and it is now available for your listening pleasure. Yes, that is true. Our first six episodes have been released. Our last episode was with Debbie Tudor, and we discussed the top five questions she gets asked by adult children of narcissists. It is a great episode. And if you want to support our podcast, one of the many ways is to hire a therapist like Debbie Tudor from our directory at abusetherapy.org. That's right, abusetherapy.org. If you are looking for a therapist or a coach, please do go to abusetherapy.org. And if we do not have someone in your area, let us know and we'll help find someone for you. Using abusetherapy.org helps support the show. But do you know what else helps support the show? Our Patreon. Yes, we started a Patreon. If you want to hear episodes that never made it to air, follow up episodes with former guests, and much, much more, join our Patreon. We'll be releasing new content on there every week. So to help support the show, become a patron of our Patreon. And you can reach us there at patreon.com slash Narcissist Apocalypse. 
wait, there's more, everyone. We also started a YouTube channel, and we started making fun pop culture narcissist-based videos. The last one was on Elle Woods from Legally Blonde being the ultimate narcissistic abuse survivor. We'll leave the link to our YouTube in our description. And now, before I get out of my way and your way, on this episode, we do discuss suicide on multiple occasions. So please do... uh, take that into consideration before you start listening. So a big trigger warning uh, right there. And also uh, on this episode, the person did attempt to take Divine's life as well on one of these occasions. So a big trigger warning for everyone. This may not be the episode for you. So if it is not for you, please do stop listening now. And now it is time for me to get out of your way and my way officially. Here is my conversation with divine welcome to narcissist apocalypse here today with me is divine how are you divine i'm doing well how are you i'm doing pretty good and today we are going to hear your story of a three and a half year relationship and it's a pretty extreme story i only know a little bit of it and right now i'm just going to get it out of your way and my way and i'm going to give you the floor and thank you for being here with us today Thank you. Um, I wanted to also to thank you for putting this podcast on. Um, I feel like probably everyone says this, and I always wonder if you asked them to say it, and you did not ask me to say this, but um, it's been so helpful for me. Um, it has helped kind of get rid of maybe some shame or confusion, and obviously makes me feel not alone in this survivor story, which we are survivors. Um, so I guess just a little bit about me, which is pertinent to the story and what I experienced. Um, middle child of three girls, I think kind of forced me to be really independent, um, kind of, uh, the funny one, you know, the oldest one was the queen, the youngest one was the princess, and I was kind of the court jester. Um, extremely independent. I've always been successful with my careers. Essentially just have my shit together. I've lived in different states. I've lived abroad. Um, never really dreamt of getting married. Dated a lot, for sure. Um, with never the type to kind of lay around and dream about that. Although I did always want to have maybe not children, but a child and even considered at points doing that on my own. Um, like I said, have my, my shit together own my house, wake up, um, great social life, great family. There are some issues with my dad, but that's maybe another podcast. Um, kind of life of the party and at the point in my life was always kind of a chubby kid um, and then gained a lot of weight and at the point in my life where I met my um, husband, still husband, um, even though we're separated, I had lost a lot of weight, had taken a few years and really got into like fitness and was you know, I turned some turned some heads for sure and was feeling really confident about myself. Um, and that was, I, I suppose I met him, not I suppose, I know when I met him was uh, July 
2015, um, I was actually dating, casually dating someone else who I wasn't super into, but um, we were scheduled to meet somewhere, and um, this person was about 30 minutes late. And as it be, uh, this guy comes walking down the street, Ryan, and uh, he stops and, and chats with me, and he was, he seemed very confident and forward. I mean, I, I really think within two minutes of chatting with me, he asked me if I was seeing anyone, uh, and it was just pretty bold and straightforward, and I consider myself kind of a no-nonsense type person, but I suppose just wasn't expecting him to be so forward, um, which is ironic because definitely over the years learned that he lacked a lot of um, self-assurance and self-confidence and was actually rather insecure about himself and maybe his standing in life. Um, But he was, unfortunately, like you'll hear a lot of maybe the little snippets that came throughout our relationship. I believe he was fairly buzzed, if not maybe already drunk at that point, which I think gave him uh, some liquid courage. And alcohol definitely was an issue throughout our relationship and for him, some other substance abuse issues as well. Um, but he chatted, chatted me up and Ryan asked me if I wanted to go grab a drink, which I did. And we had a great time. We talked for a few hours. The person I was dating, uh, eventually showed up and kind of hovered over us. And Ryan was pretty cocky in almost like claiming me already with his arm around me, even though he knew this was the person I was dating and it was certain, certainly a little uncomfortable, but um, it, it, not that he made me change my mind about the person I was dating, but it was easy to walk away from that person once I had met Ryan. So it wasn't, wasn't any terrible cheating or crying affair. It was a very, a very casual thing. Um, but we spent the next few hours getting to know each other. Oddly, we kind of hung out at the same places, almost lived in the same neighborhood, but had never met. Um, I was 36, 35. Uh, he was same age, essentially. Um, and he had asked me out for dinner that next night. And, you know, I, I woke up and after having a good time with him and meeting some of his friends that night. And I just honestly hate, I hated dates. I hated first dates. Um, I had tried the online thing, was not a fan of it. Kind of thought it was almost kismet or fate that I met this person while standing on the street and kind of weighed my options and decided to go um, and met him out for our first date. And his demeanor was absolutely different. I mean, I think he looked sweaty. He seemed nervous. Um, you know, I, I obviously, the, again, knowing him now, I know he didn't have that liquid courage behind him to make him bolder or more charming. And our first date was was good. And um, he was very quiet. And 
seemed to not be able to make eye contact with me. And ironically, I thought, I thought maybe he was a little too vanilla for me. Really, those were thoughts that crossed my mind. Um, and probably like a lot of survivors on here, we tend to like bad boys or some level of drama or partial conflict in relationships. And when I thought maybe he was too vanilla, I remember thinking at least I gained a friend. I truly thought that because he was very nice. And I started to ask some more questions about, you know, where he went to high school. And he mentioned he was kind of bad when he was younger and his parents sent him to military school. And like, this was an instant win. Like, Oh, tell, tell me more about that. Because that intrigued me more than, you know, if I had gone out with a guy that talked about the Dow Jones or, you know, the, the price of oil. Um, so he, he didn't delve into kind of how bad he was or some of the issues that he had in his childhood or growing up, but um, it definitely made me more interested in him. And it also just got him talking more, which, which was good. Um, and I went away to, we ended the date. I actually kissed him, made the first move, first time I ever did that, like first kiss. He never believed me, but it was true. And next day went off to Texas for work for like four or five days. And, you know, we stayed in touch. She sent me a video of him playing the guitar and singing. And because of my history with guys, I assumed that was literally maybe like a video that he sent out, like a mass email to women. Um, And he was very sweet and sent me a lot of nice text messages. And when I came home, I mean, we saw each other that Friday night. I got home Friday afternoon. We saw each other Friday night. And then I don't know if we were apart uh, other than maybe the occasional, occasional business travel. I don't know if we were apart really for the next, I guess what would be four years. So it, uh, it one date turned into within three weeks, he had asked me to be his girlfriend, um, told me he loved me. I met his entire family. Um, it was definitely moving very quickly and having been very independent and lived on my own for several years, it was definitely over overwhelming. Um, I liked it. I liked him. I liked all the stories that he shared with me, uh, personal stories about loss of a friend when he was younger and his family. Um, but it, it was not something I was used to. Um, and I guess what would be defined now that I understand a little bit more is the the love bombing was certainly sweet and appreciated, but sometimes it was a bit much um, waking up to him having written me a poem that he told me he wrote while he stared at me while I slept flowers to my work. I mean, he wooed 
my friends and family and you know i think was it a love bombing that was so extreme and constant and just it didn't let up that you didn't have time to think about what was going on so it was consuming i mean for a point of reference i think a lot of people thought we were all moving too quickly, but it took like my outspoken aunt to be like, I don't know. I think it's creepy. (laughs) I think the way he looks at you is creepy and he's obsessed with you. And some people made comments like that here and there. And there were even instances I remember, you know, my house isn't huge, but I remember telling Ryan, listen, because he literally followed me around the house, texts, calls all day, um, overly overly concerned about everything and this in between the traumatic episodes that we'll talk about this continued throughout our relationship I mean I got to the point where I couldn't sigh because if I was just thinking about something that I needed to do and I he he would be like what's wrong why are you sighing what's wrong it was a bit much um and I do remember one time him literally following me around my house and I was like trying to kind of like secretly have just a few minutes to myself and I stopped him and I said, listen, can you you just go in the kitchen for like five minutes? I just, I'm going to sit in the living room and he's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, nothing is wrong. I just needed a little time on my own. Um, and Ironically, this relationship definitely made me codependent. So it's like I I swung from one extreme to the next of like literally stopping him like a child, like mommy needs five minutes to feeling like I couldn't live without him. So... So in the first sorry in in the first stage of your relationship in the uh with the love bombing what are the other attractive qualities that you are finding within him that are getting you hooked was he was his vulnerability and sharing those vulnerabilities with you something that you've never experienced uh definitely um you know i mentioned there was like a tragic loss of his friend Um, by suicide. And I remember, you know, within the first couple of weeks of him hysterically crying, telling me about it. And um, I I had never seen a guy be so open and so vulnerable ever, let alone that quickly. Um, Also, I had, I had lost my mom like six months prior and, you know, we kind of shared these intimate things or personal things. Um, Also, I mean, he was so attentive, probably overly attentive, kind of, as I've mentioned, sex was really good. Um, But yeah, he was really, and he was really fun, really fun. And gosh, he, my sister, I'm super close with my sisters and man, they gave him, their stamp of approval pretty quickly because he was so sweet to them and attentive with them. And that goes far, like that goes far with family. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I learned later that at the start of our relationship, which we'll 
come into play later, but he was abusing clonopin that he was not prescribed and he got them from his friend and they were super high powered and that that helped with his confidence and his demeanor because he was actually pretty um you know he was an introvert and not very comfortable in social situations but i've never taken a clonopin but i understand like that can help boost your your confidence so i know in the past he had i think a problem with cocaine he mentioned he liked hallucinogenics he definitely smoked pot on a daily basis um which frankly was probably a good thing because it it calmed him down because throughout the years i i learned to see like a lot of like anger management issues big time but i did not see those at the beginning of course like he was just perfect and charming and maybe a little too much but um you know sensitive and attentive um but that changes of course otherwise i probably wouldn't be here um so I, we met in July and early August would truly three weeks into our relationship. We went to, he was really into music and there's a particular band that he loved that we traveled all over the country to see. And we go to Nashville to see this band and, um, oh, sorry, I forgot something. Um, you know, I mentioned I had been really overweight and I lost all this weight and was feeling good about myself and, um, Occasionally, as a nickname, he would call me Bear. And that's a pretty, you know, that's not like Honey Boo. It's a pretty random nickname that I think, well, I don't want to speak for every woman, but I feel like probably most women wouldn't want to be called Bear. And especially in my case, having had issues with my weight in the past, like it it stood out to the point where I asked him once, why do you call me Bear? And he told me that that is what he called his ex-girlfriend. And oh, man. I'm, yeah. I mean, it was gross on so many levels. Like, A, don't call me that. B, like, I guess uh, he was honest to admit it. But, like, it stopped, stopped my heart instantly. And, you know, I put a kibosh to that really quickly. And, um you know, kind of dug a little bit deeper. I was like, are you still talking to her? And I made sure that, or I told him to cut off communication with her because I'm, I kind of got the sense that even though they had broken up like six or seven years prior, I got the sense that they had tried on their, tried working on their relationship. And she was actually supposed to go to this concert in Nashville with him. So, I said, don't ever, you know, don't ever call me bear again. If you're talking to her, I'd really prefer that you didn't. I was probably too much of a pushover and too nice with him in these scenarios looking back on it, especially compared to my personality. Like, I'm pretty assertive. Um, But, uh, yeah, so I asked him to stop calling me bear. And then maybe a week or so later, we go to Nashville and we go to the concert and it's fun and... We get drunk and we're like in 
the alleyway of a, you know, typical honky-tonk Nashville bar and our song comes on because, you know, three weeks, four weeks into a relationship, we have a song. But we <laughs> we were moving pretty fast. Of course, we had a song. Um, so the song, our song comes what, on. What's and the song? <laughs> Wild Horses. Either could be the Cranberries version or the original version by the Rolling Stones. Still, I cannot listen to it to this okay. day. I hear it come on and instantly. And I'm sure people might want to know, what band did you go see? Uh, he was super into fish. Okay. All right. Which might explain the hallucinogenics <laughs> and... and yeah, pretty open-minded crowd there. Um, he so he followed fish around. He did, and that's actually something I learned on our first date as well. And I I liked fish, but I was like, he like toured not toured like a he toured like a groupie, like a you know riding couches, if you will, for a couple of years with them. And you know that was something that's like, oh well. It, that's not very vanilla, you know, that's, that looks different from his button down and his khakis. Um, so he actually, I mean, if people love that band, great. If people love music, great. But I think he had a pretty unhealthy relationship with that band. Like I felt at points I was second fiddle to fish, but, um, yeah, we, we spent a lot of time, um, seeing them in different cities, you know, not the international travel that I wanted to do, but to go see his band, his favorite band. Um, and God forbid if I talk during a concert, oh gosh. But, uh, so we're in Nashville, we're in this alleyway, our song comes on, Wild Horses. See, my heart just feels a little bit just saying the name there, Brandon. Um, and he gets down on his knee. And proposes to me. And there's no ring, of course. But we're drunk. And I said, yes. And we we go to the next honky-tonk bar and announce we just got engaged. And they, like, play a song for us. And they make an announcement. And a couple hours later, we go back to our hotel. And I will never forget it. <laughs> we were standing in the hotel room. The lights were off. But, like like a movie, the moonlight was shining through the, the window. And he took my head in his hands and looked at me and said, I love you, Bear. And oh, I couldn't, like, I could not believe he had just called me Bear after I clearly told him never to call me that again. And he had just proposed to me. And at the time, I... I, again, I didn't harp on it too much. Like I was really kind of in shock, but we had been drinking and we had just had this beautiful moment before in in the alleyway. And I kind of just, I'm not going to say I ignored it because I definitely mentioned it, but it was like, it's like very disturbing to look back on it and think that he called me that in that moment. Um, but so we, we pretended we were engaged. Like we came back and we told like a handful of people for like two days. And then 
we realized like kind of how silly it was not having known each other a month. And we went, we went back to just dating. Um, but in September he moved in. Um, so what, two, two months later and he seemed to be a great roommate and he kept, he helped me keep the house clean. And we just, we had so much fun together. We explored different things. We, talked so much in depth we had so many fun like inside jokes um and then in november we got engaged for real like very pretty ring and um we were very excited about that and i'm starting to see at this point you know especially we met and we were so head over heels for each other and it was summer and it's so warm here and we like sit outside and drink every night. And then it kind of got to the point where like drinking so much was kind of getting old and I would suggest new things or suggest like, Hey, let's, let's quit drinking or let's not drink during the week. But there's always a reason to keep drinking or we just have a few. And, um, I would say definitely started living an unhealthier lifestyle, at least for me, like he would um, kind of discourage, not discourage me from going to the gym, but discourage me from leaving him. Um, You know, no, stay, you don't have to go to the gym or um, hang out with us. Like, let's have some drinks on the patio. Um, But still life was good. I had started to see some um, issues of the anger outburst and jealousy. Um, I mean, there was a guy friend of mine who I sent a totally unrelated picture to, like nothing to do with me or my body or anything like that. This is clearly a guy friend that I was not interested in. And um, Ryan, like, freaked out on him at um, maybe my niece's birthday party, like thought that I was sending him kind of sex, if you will, and started to see just jealousy in general to the point where I certainly wasn't going out of my way to make him jealous, but went out of my way to inch like went in the opposite direction where I think my personality became a little bit more subdued because I'd never wanted him to think that or perceive that anything I was doing or saying was flirting with another guy or giving him any reason to be jealous, um, including, you know, times around my male best friend who is engaged to a man very much gay, um, Ryan would get jealous of the attention that he paid to me and actually years later almost beat him up on a vacation because my gay best friend was kind of just fawning over me like sometimes gay best friends do. And um, the the jealousy started to to come out uh, around this time, like a couple months of, of him living with me. Um, and, and then comes 2016. 
So we were scheduled to be married, scheduled, that sounds so formal. We had planned on getting married in June of 2016. And that Valentine's Day in February, in case you didn't know, Valentine's Day in February, um, we went up to the mountains and we went to his college town. I had never been there before. And we were, I think, drinking in the car, I say, I think, but I know we were drinking in the car, but like, I'm ashamed looking back at the reckless things that I went along with, um, because that would not have been my personality or my like risk taking behavior at all. Um, there would be times where he'd hop in the car with like a to go drink or be like, Oh, we could take one for the road. And I would caution him like, no, we can easily get pulled over. And, I had started to learn about like a long rap sheet of like um, arrests and things like that and DUIs that he had had. So we get to our hotel and I hop in the shower and he left to maybe go get some more wine or something. And he comes back and he has the wine, but I think he had stopped at like a little like triple X little sex shop, you know, for Valentine's day. And he had bought, me a nighty and flowers and the flowers are beautiful and the nighty even though I had lost all this weight and I was in good shape but the night the nighty was like tiny like it wouldn't even fit like an 11 year old like it was so small and my simple reaction to it was just oh you know this won't fit me. Did you think this would fit me? And in my head, I'm concerned that he's not going to be able to return it. You know, it's Valentine's day weekend. He stops by a sex shop. It's probably 70 bucks, you know? And, um, it was, I wasn't mad. I mean, it was the flowers and the nighty were very nice gesture, but I just knew, I mean, that wasn't fitting over my neck. And, I don't understand. I still don't understand his reaction to me saying that it simply wouldn't fit me. Um, He lost it and became so incredibly upset and told me that I hated him, that I was going to leave him and that he was going to kill himself. And he knew exactly where he was going to kill himself. He was going to drive up the mountain and off the cliff. And again, he, he went to school in this college town and stayed for actually 10 years total. Cause he used to grow and sell pot there. Um, and I had never seen him like this before. And I am begging him and, and pleading with him, you know, stop. What are you talking about? He, he runs out of the hotel room trying to get away and I could only imagine to get in his car and do exactly what he said he was going to do for the mere mention of a nightie that he bought me was too small. Um, and I would say for a good 30 minutes, I'm like on his lap, hysterically crying, trying to pin him down so he wouldn't move, begging him to not move. Um, I mean, people are coming off the hotel elevator. They see us it probably was such a spectacle and he just keeps telling me he's going to kill himself. Um, you know, the friend that I mentioned that died by suicide, 
he used his name and said he wants to meet him and he's waiting for me and I, that's it. I'm going to kill myself. You're going to leave me and finally gets away from my grasp and runs down the emergency stairs and I go and grab my cell phone and I see him and it's like cold and wintry and blustery and super snowy and windy. And I see him get in his car and I called 911. I called 911 and I told them the situation and described his car and the direction that he was going in. And thankfully uh, he was stopped and arrested for DUI and also possession and spent the night in jail and very early in the morning, five, six o'clock in the morning, he, he was released and took an Uber to our hotel where I just opened my arms to him and held him and cried and we made love and I was so protective of him and so confused how he could have like shattered so easily um and unfortunately this wouldn't be the first time I experienced something like this and I had called his sister and his brother-in-law um like while he was in jail, it was hysterical. They were really upset that he had put me through something like that. And we kind of moved on life as normal. I mean, we went out for dinner for Valentine's Day the next night. I said, we're not drinking. Let's stop drinking. Um, and, you know, I knew that he needed some kind of help, but he was super super defensive anytime I brought it up and I think about how shitty this is. There were several, several times throughout the remainder of our relationship when he blamed me for getting that DUI, which how terrible is that? Like what was my other option? Just let you drive off a cliff and die. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course I, I paid for his DUI lawyer. Um, they're, turns out to be a lot of financial abuse in this relationship too. Um, but yeah, that was, that was February. And I feel like that, I guess, suicide attempt, I wasn't sure if it was just like a, a cry for help because it wasn't that in my face. Like he drove off in his car and he drove away and the police got him. And then we came back and, and life was good. And I was, there was probably a little, there was a little part of me that was uh, kind of scared of him to have such an extreme reaction talking about a nightie that was too small. Um, and it wasn't, uh, he was really good at ruining holidays. <laughs> so fast forward. I, I have one question before we move to fast forward. Um, as far as suicide goes, and now you think suicide is on the table all the time, is that something that is in your thought process? Um, probably not after the first suicide attempt, but after the second suicide attempt. I mean, it 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 freaked me out, and I I kind of thought it was just like the sensitive, um, 
side of him. And I kind of thought maybe it was a cry for help or call for attention. Um, but then just in April, two months later, now on Easter, happy holidays. Um, we, you got to have a little something about this. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we hosted Easter brunch at my house. My dad, his girlfriend, my sister's nieces, maybe some friends, and that, of course, included uh, mimosas. you got to have mimosas at Easter brunch at 11. Um, and we, friends and family leave, and it continues into, like, day drinking, and we go out to a neighborhood pub or whatever and um we had our dogs and on the way back we were picking up some food and um we had called it in and he was going to go in and pick up the food now when when we got to the place obviously I couldn't go in because I had two dogs and they served food and I saw my ex-boyfriend sitting at the bar and instantly, you know, I'm seeing more and more of Ryan's like anger issues and road rage, really bad road rage to the point where I went from taking anxiety pills once a month for a heart issue that I have to like literally on road trips with him having to take anxiety medication because his road rage was so intense. Um, I never trusted him driving because of his road rage and how out of control he got. It was like those scenarios where, you know, like someone's going to pull up and shoot us because it was so intense. Um, but I, I see my ex-boyfriend sitting at the bar and instantly I, I feel so much tension because I, I knew Ryan was going to start something and he did not like my ex-boyfriend for a number of reasons. It was the most serious ex-boyfriend before him. And I think we had like bumped into him here and there, you know, there were some dirty looks maybe, but um, probably a month or so prior to this Easter festivity, Ryan and I got in a fight and he called me a whore. And he said, why don't you just text, your ex-boyfriend when he said his name. And so uh, to be a brat, I did text him right right in front of him, right in front of Ryan, and I showed him the text and instantly blocked my ex-boyfriend on the phone. So, like, there's really no reper- repercussion of, like, starting any communication with him. But I was really mad that Ryan had called me a whore and told me to go sleep with or go text my ex-boyfriend. So to be a brat and to prove a point, I, I texted him and Ryan was very aware that I did think um, he was probably drunk. So might not have had like a uh, recollection of it after the fact. Um, so I forgot to mention that because it does play into this. So I'm standing outside. I see Ryan go in. I see him start talking to Mac's boyfriend with like, oh, damn, this is not good. All of a sudden bar stools go flying they get in a fight. There's fists being thrown. And at this point I just run in with the dog. Like who cares? Like I got to get him away and, uh, pull him away, uh, get him out of there as quickly as possible on the way home. He's so pissed. He's like, 
he's you know he's such a jerk he probably used different words but he's such a jerk and he he told me to tell you to stop texting him he's like you haven't texted him and I was like well remember when we got in that fight and you said that and I texted him and explained it I mean I shouldn't have done it but I explained why I did it to spite him and he lost it again and said that he was going to kill himself, went inside our house. We got back to our house, took a handful of clonopin, chugged vodka to chase it down and was, uh, uh, just totally nuts. And I'm trying to knock the pills out of his hand and, he successfully, I, I still don't know how many he took, at least three or four, um, and he had already been drinking all day, and then he's taking them, swallowing them with straight vodka, and runs out of my house, and now it's like, okay, so I'm seeing this suicide attempt. Like, this is real. Like, I saw him take pills. I saw him chug this vodka. He, it was like, no matter how hard I tried to get him to stop or get the pills out of his hands or knock the bottle, he, he was determined. He was going to, you know, he was going to kill himself over. Now it's over a text message to my ex-boyfriend. And he literally runs out of the house into the neighborhood. I try to chase after him. I call the police. I call his best friend who's female and she drives from 45 minutes away. The police are looking for him. The fire department is looking we kind of live like in a, or I live in a small neighborhood and there are sirens and lights everywhere. And they're, you know, I'm calling him. He's not answering. His best friend was with me, consoling me. And they finally find him in the crawl space of a building behind my house and take him and, um, strap him to a gurney and take him in an ambulance to a psych ward where he was for the next three days, two nights and called his work and has no recollection of this because I think it was before they pumped his stomach, called his work and quit his job. He had been um, a restaurant manager of, a, like very successful, like his location of this chain was very successful and he always like won awards. So he calls and quits his job, doesn't even remember it. And spends three days and two nights in a psych ward where I visited him. And it was just so disturbing to me and not to make it about me, but it was like, wow, this is this, you know, is the second suicide attempt. And now I'm, visiting him in the psych ward where there are some really, you know, sick people there, like people with very serious mental illness. And I'm beginning to wonder and think that, you know, he, there's, there's something wrong more than just being sensitive. And it was kind of such a shift from the love bombing. And now I'm seeing like these anger issues and maybe some, well, obviously some mental health issues. And I remember just going to touch him, like touch his leg in the psych ward. And there was like, like a nurse monitoring us. And she's like, don't touch him. And it was just, I remember coming home and being in my house alone and 
being like, this, I don't know what to do. Like we were supposed to get married in two months. And these were things that I didn't or couldn't tell friends and family because I was ashamed. I would, I, I know he would be so mad if I told people. And so it was just stuff I dealt with by myself and really wanted to, uh, you know, I didn't want to tell people, I, I just didn't want it to happen, obviously. Um, but it, I felt really alone at that time. And, you know, when he came back, I don't know what it was. I don't know the empath in me, like, I welcomed him home and I had his favorite food because I couldn't imagine being in a psych ward. Like, I think I tried to bring him like some Gatorade he had requested one day. Like I couldn't even bring that in. And I just remember feeling so bad for him, everything that he has going on in his mind, but also you're in a really uncomfortable unknown place and you're probably not sleeping and you're not eating, you know, the food you like. And so I I do blame myself a little bit when he came home from the hospital of trying to make him feel good and comfortable again versus having like a very serious talk with him about trying to get some help, which was definitely mentioned. Um, and he just, Ryan didn't, it, he didn't take that very well. I think he, probably will never face some of these demons that he has and kind of feel bad for him in a sense. Um, but I seriously thought about postponing or calling off our wedding because, you know, we're getting married 11 months ever after having met and we went from such extreme highs to such extreme lows and, it was really scary. And then he didn't have a job because he called and quit. And I realize now how much I lied for him not to be malicious, but because we had to make up excuses. So it was like, what happened to his job? And Oh, he got passed over for a promotion, like made something up. Um, but now he's, he's jobless. And I think he looking back and it was probably very scared that I was going to leave him. Um, and we weren't, we weren't fighting as much, thankfully. Um, and yeah, we went, away, we went ahead with the wedding and in June and it was a beautiful day, beautiful wedding. Um, I wish I had been a guest at my wedding versus having been the bride looking back on it. But, um, yeah, then after we got married is when things really changed. Like the, the fighting picked up a lot and it was just three. So we were married mid June. Fourth of July, we hung out with some friends. I had a male friend and a female friend that I knew from my single days that I used to hang out with. And they were probably not the best influences, to be honest. And um, we hung out with them Fourth of July and you know, drinking on the patio, day drinking, again, lots of alcohol throughout the years. And um, I was never great at extended periods of drinking. So I'd, I'd do the Irish goodbye and go to bed. And um, these three, so Ryan and my male friend and my female friend, would stay up 
later doing some more like nefarious things. Like I know there was cocaine involved and pot and stuff like that. And two weeks after 4th of July, I, we had hung out with him again and I passed out early and Ryan and I wake up in the morning and he's talking about how tired he is and how he feels like poop. And we're laying in bed easily for half an hour. And I, you know, I was like, why do you feel so terrible? And he's like, I just feel, I feel like death and I feel terrible. And, um, he had plenty of time to kind of fill me in on any gaps that I had missed from the night before, um, which he didn't. And in the morning, I go into the living room, and his cell phone is there. And I go to grab it to bring it to him, and there's a text message from my female friend at 4 o'clock in the morning that said, are you still coming over? Oh, so, boy. Yeah, I mean, my heart dropped. I mean, we had just gotten married and this is my friend. And why else is any male going to a female's house at four o'clock in the morning? And I, I freaked out and I approached him. I'm like, what's this? What's this? And it was like typical deer cotton headlights. But, um, I feel like there was no emotion behind it. Like, I don't know, I felt like he thought he was going to get away with it. And I start grilling him, and he tells me that he went there to do cocaine and that my male friend was there too. And it just, some of it didn't seem to add up because for a half an hour we lay to bed and you talked about how much you felt like poop. Well, that's why, because you were doing drugs until 5.30 in the morning. And... I freak out and I make him leave the house and I go over to my male friend's house. Who's kind of like a brother to me. And I was like, Hey, I saw this text message. Were you at her house last night? Was he there? And he's like, yes. He's like, I was there and he was there. So I like breathe a little sigh of relief. Um, but my friend told me, you know, you might want to ask him about two weeks ago. So this is back to 4th of July. And I was like, why, what happened? He's like, Ryan came on to her and told her he wanted to sleep with her. And I just, I was so upset and I couldn't believe that this was happening. Like we literally just got married and I called her and she admitted to me, I, I think she was not a great friend. I mean, you shouldn't have anyone husband over at your house at four o'clock in the morning, let alone two weeks later after, after they came on to you. I also think she should have told me, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but I approach Ryan about this and ask him and he keeps saying, no, no, she's lying. She's lying. And at that point, I, why would she lie? Like, she's just going to lose a friendship with me, but he keeps denying it. I get, I'm on like a three week or I have her on speakerphone and she's saying, yes, it happened. And he's saying, no, she's lying. I kick him out of the house for about two days. And he, I, I knew that she was telling the truth and I just needed to hear it from him. So I called into my house this middle of the day. I was sober. Now looking back on it, I wonder 
you know, in a lot of these instances, was he on something? Was he taking something? I don't know. Um, but I, I asked him over and over very calmly, is it true? Is it true? Is it true? And he looked at me and finally said, yes, it's true. And, um, he looked at me and said, I'm so sorry, Katie. Now, Katie is the name of an ex-girlfriend from like 11 years prior. So you think about Nashville, like he proposed to me and then calls me Bear, his nickname for one ex-girlfriend. Now we're married and he tried cheating on me and he looks me in the face and says, I'm sorry, and calls me the name of a different ex-girlfriend. What? That's nutso. Like, and that's what made me lose it. Like, I almost felt a little bit of relief when he admitted it because at least he admitted it. And I knew it was true that he, he tried cheating on me. But when he called me her name is when I was like, all right, this is another level. And I started screaming. I was freaking out, yelling at him. And that's actually, he, to this point, we had not had a physical, like physically violent relationship, but something changed in his face and his eyes. And he put his hands around my neck and pushed me to my bed and just started strangling me. And I knew if I had not kicked him off of me very, I was kicking him very hard. I truly don't think he would have stopped. I don't think he would have come to any of his senses. Um, he saw me freaking out about this situation and just started choking me. And, um, again, I make him leave the house. I called his mother who, when I explained the whole story to her, she said, I'm not surprised Ryan has cheated on every woman in his life. She tells me this a month after we get married. Not like any mother-in-law is going to like, or mother is going to pull their future daughter-in-law aside and be like, hey, just to let you know, my husband or my son, like, you know, he, he cheats a lot. Um, and frankly, kind of in such a fog that I was in, if she had done that, I probably still would have moved forward with marrying him and staying with him. Um, because I was so completely head over heels in love with him. Um, but yeah, she told me he cheated on every woman that he's been with. And at that point I was like how what do I do now um do I divorce him do we try to work on it and I'm definitely the type that would try especially so early on into a marriage to try to get some therapy um anytime I approached him about getting help or therapy it kind of had to be um, positioned more as we need help, we need therapy, even though I knew, and and that was true, we needed help and we needed therapy and couples counseling and, and whatnot, but I also knew that he needed some intense one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and I think 
any everyone can benefit from therapy. I mean, I'm in therapy now, um, but I knew someone needed to help him with the things that were going on in his mind. And, um, but he was never open to getting therapy on his own, but I thought, you know, what do I do? Do I, do I divorce him? Do we separate? Do we get help? And we had a honeymoon planned for like three weeks later. And I thought about canceling it. I thought about going by myself. Um, and then of course, you know, he starts coming around and charming me and saying he was so sorry and crying to me. There was a lot of crying. Um, and I take him back into the house. I don't know where he had been staying at that time. Maybe it was his sister. Um, and we decide that we're going to go on our honeymoon. We're going abroad, Spain. And I we decided that it wouldn't be fair for either of us to bring this up during our honeymoon, but because what would be the fun of that? Um, but when we got back, we were going to do some serious counseling and therapy and we were going to stop drinking and all these kind of empty promises that I heard time and time again with no actual change. Um, so we take off we, it was his first time leaving the country. I had left the country a bunch before. Mm. Sorry, I had to wet my whistle. Um, so we get to Barcelona and, you know, we're jet lagged. We had a red eye or overnight flight and we check into our hotel and it, our room's not ready yet, but they like greet us with like cava, their equivalent of champagne for being honeymooners and we go explore until our room is ready and we go to the fish market and we have some sangria and we go here and we have some more kava and so it was just another day filled with too much drinking especially with like no sleep and time change and being jet lags and whatnot so we go back to our hotel room and it's late. I mean, it's dark at this point, but we were kind of turning in early because we were so tired and it was such a long day and we were pretty drunk. And, it, you know, we go to consummate our relationship, right? First night of the honeymoon, time to have make some love. And he could not. And I think that's pretty understandable after you know, jet lag and lack of sleep and lots of drinking. And I was not upset about it, but I think in his head, he felt maybe guilt or shame because of what we had just gone through of him trying, you know, we had just gotten married and then he tried cheating on me with my friend and then he strangled me. And then we have another suicide attempt where he runs out of our hotel into, like, if you think of, like, the Jason Bourne European traffic, like, expressways, like, he's trying to run into traffic, telling me that he's going to kill himself. And I am running across this expressway, trying to pull him back in. Hotel employees run out. They're trying to help us. Strangers on the street are trying to help us or trying to help me rein him back in, but he actually 
turns to me and says, you're coming with me and pulls me into traffic with him. So this is now like it. I did not have, like my sisters did not know about this story for about a year and a half, but now that I'm no longer keeping his secrets, like I am, you know, especially how cruel he was towards me at the end of our relationship, your secrets are not mine to keep anymore. And now that I'm being open about, you know, what's happened to me, it, it was just recently where someone looked at me and they're like, that's attempted murder, suicide. And like, I never, I never it that way I thought of it as another suicide attempt by him but no I mean he pulled me into traffic with him and said I was coming with him so it's like all this stuff has kind of been some of the some of the hardest stuff that I've had to deal with that I just became so desensitized to throughout a relationship and I look back on it and I'm like what what the fuck what happened and how did I put up with that? Um, and it's just disturbing. And, you know, when we finally, strangers pulled me off the street and then a hotel employee gets him back in and I just get him up to the room. I think I locked us in the room. I think I, I, I hid his pat. I hid a bunch of stuff so he couldn't make any rash decisions and, blocked the door so he couldn't leave and I think I like hid anything sharp that was in the room and uh he passes out contently drunk and I laid next to him and I thought like that's it when I get back to the United States I couldn't I certainly couldn't call my family at that time because they would have been so freaked out like you know she's in in Spain and she's with him and this just happened And I just was certain that after finishing our honeymoon, which we probably should have just left right away, that I was going to come back to the States and divorce him. Um, But we continue our honeymoon, and it was fun. And we had a great time, and we experienced new things. And, again, kind of shame on me. Like, I did, I didn't bring it up after uh, beyond maybe the next morning. I didn't bring up this murder-suicide attempt because I thought that might provoke another incident. Like, I was always walking on eggshells because of his outbursts. Um, and we're not even a year into our relationship, and all of these things have happened. Um But we enjoyed the rest of our trip, believe it or not, as weird as that sounds. And we came back to the United States, and we went three times. We went only three times ever in our relationship. And it's pretty depressing when I think about it. Um, He was always so grumpy and such an unwilling participant in therapy and our therapist was terrible and, you know, I was blaming everything on him. And I mean, I, I was no angel. We, we drank too much and we'd get in a lot of fights, especially after we got married. But, you know, I wasn't getting DUIs or trying to kill myself or trying to kill him. I wasn't cheating or trying to cheat. Um, and therapy was just 
just a bust. Like it, it, it actually made things worse because it was rehashing everything because on a day-to-day basis, I was not trying to poke the bear and I was not trying to bring these things up and I was always walking on eggshells. But when you're sitting in front of a therapist and the therapist is like, well, tell me what happened. You need to go into those details. And it made him just really angry. And like, we, we usually would be pretty foul acting with each other in the car. I remember on the way home from therapy and I kind of, I mean, I agreed therapy was getting us nowhere because he just wasn't willing to face these things, admit some things, um, always telling me, oh, like, you're so perfect. And I kind of would want him sometimes to dig a little bit deeper. Well, what am I doing wrong? And he really didn't have much to say. Um, And unfortunately, I, I started to gain weight. You know, we were drinking a lot, unhealthy lifestyle, and I don't, I don't know. I, I woke up one day and all the weight that I had lost was just seemed to essentially be back. And I could tell there were, um, he was less sexually interested in me and, um, like when we first got together, he I was like a prize to him. He was like so proud to show me off and would make me stop like, Oh, come meet me and my friend. We're here. And I'm like, no, I'm in gym clothes and I'm really sweating. He'd be like, Ryan be like, just stop by. And there were times where, you know, during the love bombing phase, he'd be like, just look at her, look at her. Isn't she gorgeous? And then that wore off. And that definitely wore off in tandem with my weight gain. Um, And then there, there were definitely some uh, fat shaming comments when we got in fights. He would, I, I remember particular, particularly being really upset one night when we were fighting and he said, look at you and then look at me. You're lucky to have me. Just look at you. Think outside the box. And, you know, on paper, I have a successful career. I have a great social life. I own a home. I own an investment property. I've traveled the world. I speak another language. I'm the life of the party. And on paper, but I had gained weight. And so to me, that that was the only thing that he was referring to was my weight. And there were several instances where he made comments like that. Um, the next couple of years, it was like rinse and repeat, like big, crazy psychotic fight and then being good and fine where it like, like I forgot the really bad part. Um, even to the point where, like I mentioned before, he was still really attentive to me. So like, for example, he would cook dinner and we'd sit down to eat it. We were usually watching TV and I'd take a bite and he'd be like, oh, oh no. And I'd be like, what? He's like, you don't like it, do you? And I'm like, oh, no, no, I like it. It's good. And he's like, I could, you don't like it. I could tell you don't like it. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, Ryan, calm, calm down. It's, 
it's fine. It's good. It's really good. And like, I had to always reassure him with a lot of things and still the stuff like sighing, what's wrong? Why are you sighing? What are you thinking about? And it so during this couple of years, it is a, a, a cycle that is predictable, I guess, and where rage will happen. There's um, issues with him when it comes to um, self-assurance and his own issues uh, does he feel like you're always in his mind that you're going to leave in certain instances? Does there a lot of jealousy that goes on? And is he, I guess, in the cycle, is he uh, devaluing you in the cycle? And are you doing everything just to make him feel good and not doing anything for yourself? <laughs> you really hit the nail on the head. Um Yes. That's so my job. He needed, <laughs> um, he needed constant reassurance. I mean, even like, how does my outfit look? Does this make me look fat? How's my outfit? Like, it was way worse than I was with any clothes. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, looking back at it, like, if you think about the suicide attempts, they were all kind of like very intimate things. Like, he thought he disappointed me with the nighty. And then the second one had to do with my ex-boyfriend. And the third one had to do with not being able to sexually perform, if you will. So they were all like really intimate, personal things that I think he was afraid I was going to leave him. And there were times where he would just hug me and kind of grasp my face and and look at me and say, do you love me? And I'd be like, yes, of course I love you. And he, I, I think he distrusted a little bit of that, even though I don't know what, what I did to give him that impression, even though like he gave me a lot of impressions that maybe he didn't love or value me. But yeah, there were definitely... Um, things that he started to do devalue me. Like I remember one night while fighting, he made fun of how uncomfortable I was with my body during sex and like literally mocked me like a child and was like, Oh, don't touch me here. Don't no, don't, don't look at that. And like, that really, that was really hurtful because, you know, I am not going to blame him for my weight gain or I will say I, I I would blame him partially for my gradual lack of confidence because of all this crappy stuff he would say to me. But, you know, I kind of went off the rails with him of uh, drinking and going to his favorite restaurants, which were like really unhealthy places and um, kind of rode that wave to make him happy, which, which resulted in me being unhappy and unhealthy. And towards the end, I don't know what I was thinking. Like every restaurant, I would suggest only places where he would want to go. Like, you know, I loved international travel, but I would be more likely to be like, hey, Fish is playing in Atlanta just to make him happy. Like, I think I was overcompensating. Not that I need to overcompensate for anything, but I think I was showering him with love and paying for things and treating him because I didn't want another 
Barcelona or I didn't want another Valentine's Day or I didn't want another Easter. It, um, it, it, sa- it sounds like you're his caregiver and, and that, uh, you know, he has a lot of emotional issues. He is in public a persona that people would never assume he is behind scenes. Behind the scenes, he has zero self-esteem. He has zero self-confidence. He has zero everything. And when things do not go his way, there's tantrums. There are uh, rages. There is jealousy. There are these suicide attempts that are so not based in reality that he can't see any reality of a situation because as soon as his trigger is hit, whatever that is in his psyche of whatever happened to him, he's gone mentally. And you're really dealing with a self-medicating shell of a human being completely who needs his mom. He was very close. He is, well, actually, I haven't talked to him in a bit, but yes, he was very close with his mom, self-medicating beyond levels that should be comfortable for anyone. Um, and yeah, I, it's funny, like in good times, I would, I would joke to him cause like I'm, I'm pretty funny, like maybe could be a stand-up comedian, but in good times I would. I would jokingly bring up some issues in our relationship. Um, you know, I feel like sometimes I feel like I'm your mom. And um, I'd be like, your mom and I are a lot alike because I, I totally, I definitely felt like his mom. And there were times when I'd look at him like two years into our relationship and, you know, I'm sitting on one end of the sectional couch and he's on the other end and I would look at him and and I felt like I didn't know him at all, but there were times where I knew exactly what he was thinking. It was a very kind of interesting dichotomy. Um, but there were, I mean, people that are now learning about some of this, like some friends and family and stuff, I will say there are people in my life that never saw these glimpses this other side of him. Um, there were people that occasionally saw it. And then there were people who saw it a lot. Like, obviously I saw it a lot. Um, my gay best friend saw it in a few instances where he had these crazy outrageous outbursts and tried to beat him up in our Airbnb and then took his frequent flyer miles and flew flew home early from our trip and kind of ruined it for me because then I'm, I'm, I love my, my friend, but you know, it's kind of bummed my husband left. Um, lots of, lots of tantrums, lots of recklessness. I mean, just in September, he came home one night from, uh, work happy hour and I could just, I could tell by the way he pulled up to the house that he had been drinking and he gets out hysterically laughing telling me that he had just hit this woman's car after what sounds like, um, well, actually there's ash cam footage of it. Um, he, he got in a road rage incident with another guy and I think they were like tailgating each other and 
flipping each other off and Ryan had been drinking and he like rear ends this woman at a red light and, and takes off. And here I am like, I've worked like a 13 hour day. It's a Friday night. I'm still working at seven 30 and I freak out. Like that's a hit and run that you could have hurt someone. And that's sort of responsible. You know, there are cameras everywhere. I'm sure the cops are going to come and, he has a little tantrum about it because, I mean, he, like, approaches me to tell me this story is funny, and I think it's terrible, and I'm also the responsible one. I'm the one that's, like, his mom, and I'm worrying about, like, him getting arrested. I'm worrying about a lawsuit and a lien being put against my house, and he he doesn't like that I'm trying to face reality with him and, like, takes his dog and goes for a walk. And then, of course, who shows up a half an hour later when he's not there? the police and the the commonplace and occurrence of like police and arrests and warrants and stuff was definitely getting old. Um, but yeah, um, I will say he, he cheated on our taxes in 2016 and 2017. Right. Yeah. And I mean, excessive, excessive like I don't even know how the numbers would make sense like I think a lot of people joke like oh yeah I'll claim a hundred dollars in donations to Salvation Army but when really you know maybe it's 50 um he like claimed like thousands of dollars to Salvation Army and thousands of dollars to Goodwill and uh somehow in this house that's not even 1400 square feet we had two home offices and we had solar panels and all this like crazy stuff that basically he was (laughs) trying to beat the system, if you will, but he didn't. And for the 2016, wait, 17, 18, for the 2017 taxes, we were audited in 2018. Now he had already cheated on the 2018 taxes. So there was kind of no going back or so he told me. Um, and so there turns out to be a $6,500 like payback to the IRS that, you know, he, I was, I was the financial giver in the relationship and, uh, he was paycheck to paycheck. So I paid his tax audit and it was always, always understood that if we get audited for that second year, you are paying it, Ryan. And he said he would. So it was probably mm, maybe, I I wish I remember the exact month, but maybe uh, May or June of 2019, last year, and we had gotten in a big fight, and I was so sick of fighting. I was so sick of walking on eggshells and being isolated from people. Oh, God, he, my gay best friend, he isolated me from him. Um, a few other, if, if Ryan didn't like someone, you know, I couldn't have them over. And since I spent all my time with Ryan, like I realized now that he's not, now that Ryan's not back in my life, I'm so happy to like have a few of these people back in my life now. Cause I'm, I'm sure knowingly he isolated me from them. And they were typically people that were kind of on to him. Like they knew that there was like something going on some kind of those are the ones that don't get along with your partner and then your the partner who is the one with narcissistic tendencies when 
um, or any, you know, bad patterns of negative behavior tendencies, they know when someone else is onto them and they'll, they'll most likely voice that they do not like them or start bad mouthing them. So you distance yourself from them. Well, that absolutely happened. That's what he did. It worked like, you know, my sisters were, they learned about some of these crazy things throughout the years, but they still loved him. Like the charm still worked on them. So they were always safe, but um, there was a few select people that sometimes kind of ha- pulled me aside to talk about him or would almost like confront him in ways like, yo man, chill out. Like, why are you getting so mad? And um, I think now I look back on it. He didn't like those people because they challenged him um, uh, be- and he couldn't. Sorry, before you continue your story, I have one question, and I apologize to anyone out there. Who knows if I'll even keep this in the episode? But it has to do – I've been st- I've been writing this thing down, and I'm kind of stuck on it. And I just had to talk to it before I forgot. Um, what did he call – did he have a nickname for his mother? I know that's an odd uh, question. Hmm. I don't think so. Why? Now I'm curious. Well, well, he called his ex-girlfriend Bear. He called yeah. he called you Bear. And yeah, you know, I don't know what his relationship with his ex was like, but I assume it was somewhat similar. And well, what's another name? You know, when you call a nickname to your mom or in mama life, bear. it's a mama bear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know that he had a nickname for her. Um, he was very close with her and he was close with both of his parents. And I mean, right now they, they, they have not reached out to me and I kind of skipped over, believe it or not, the craziest part of the story, but, um, they're not, they haven't reached out to me and I've, I've reached out to his mom to get her to talk some sense into her son into signing a divorce settlement. And she has not responded to me. So like his family is stonewalling me, which really hurts my feelings because of all of these things, like his sister knew about the first suicide attempt up in the mountains. And then his mom knew about um, him trying to cheat at me and choke me. But other, and there are a million crazy stories in between that, like, if you have five hours, we can talk about. But, um, to, from all perspectives, I made him a man. I helped clean up his life and I had a home for him. And, um, you know, we experienced new things together and we traveled to Spain and we got married and he did landscaping around the house. So they, I think they really appreciated me and valued me from taking him from this, like, you know, bachelor, like, and this is really just an analogy. Like it's probably true. It's true, but it's also uh, an analogy for the bigger picture. So, um, pre me, Ryan uh, would show up for Christmas, you know, an hour and a half late with bloodshot eyes, Maybe a vodka drink in his hand, no gifts. Whereas married Ryan showed up on time, presents for the family, you know, put that drink away, 
a car full of gifts. Do you know what I mean? Like, I helped him grow up, even though behind the scenes, all this other crazy stuff was happening, and they just didn't know. So it really well, well, like well in a sense, yes, you helped him grow up, but really, you were you were the grown up. You 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 were the one doing it for him. I know. Yeah, I know. That's why I I'm surprised with myself that I. I pandered so much to him. Um, I think I was just not necessarily afraid of like violent consequences. I, I obviously mentioned there was that, that one time, um, but I was just uh, honestly, ironically, I thought he was so fragile. I thought he was so fragile and anything could set him off. Um, so I kind of was like a, an enabler. An enabling mother. So, so, sure. so, but that what was that's what was running you at the like toward to, I guess the rest of your relationship was that you uh, you know you were afraid of the tantrum that could happen. You were afraid of another suicide attempt that could happen. I'm sure you didn't want the guilt of anything that uh, was to occur to be on your watch or uh, things like that. And it's, it's something that is, you know, when you're in it, you don't realize what has happened or what is kind of going on. And then all of a sudden, this is your life. And, you know, you are just trying to get by day to day and not have anything bad happen. And when, if you're tending to everything and you're enabling things, that's a good day because nothing has gone wrong probably and you've survived it. And, you know, that is, so when you start doing that more and more, and then you start kind of getting this feedback of, oh, this is how thing, like less things are happening, then, you know, obviously you're going to keep on doing it. Uh, Of course you are. I mean, who wouldn't? Yeah, uh, you're, you're right about that. And I think it was um, just, trying to put out fires before they turned into something really big. And I think on a smaller level, um, compared to like suicide attempts and DUIs and getting arrested for assault and strangling me, like for a couple of years, it, it, it seemed more normal, but it, it wasn't, and it wasn't healthy. And I think I started to resent that. Like there were times when I asked myself, like, is this what I want? And I was, I think I got to the point that I was confident nothing was ever going to change. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, well, did you feel like you could change him? Did you like, while this was going on and while his behavior was better, were you saying to yourself, I've changed him, even though technically you changed yourself? You're right. I did change myself. My sister even pointed that out to me. Um, But I think for a long time I was striving to change him. And I think probably within the last year or so, I I think I came to like a unconscious realization that not only was I not going to change him, but he was just never going to change, period. Um, And maybe he will. And like to give you an idea of 
how much I, I worried about him or didn't want him to get hurt. I still in, in, you know, after our separation, which she treated me so terribly, I talked to my therapist and cried and said, like, I feel like someone in his family should know about these issues to help him. Because if, if he died by suicide, you know, in six months and a year, I would still somehow feel responsible. Like, I feel like his mom and dad should know. And I feel like his best friend, that female best friend that I mentioned, I feel like she should know, but they, they all know, like I found out in the last year of our relationship that he told me this, that his parents put him in a psych ward when he was like 18. Um, he chased his mom around the house with a knife and he told me that he beat up his adult sister in front of his parents, like only a few years before we met. So his family knows, I mean, at first I thought they just sent him to military school, but they know, they know more than you do. They do. Um, I'm sure what happened before that thing at 18 years old, uh, is the, whatever childhood, I'm sh- it's probably been a lifelong thing for them. And I'm going to say that when he was with you, and this is only my opinion, and you know, mm-hmm. you never know, but when he was with you for how many years, three and a half years, and he's living with you and you're taking care of him, I'm sure that whole entire time his family was saying, ah, oh, this is a nice break. Yeah, relief. This is a nice break to yeah. have. And and then I'll, when it's over, they're just like, ugh, he's now ours again. He's back. He's back. He's, you know, you, yeah. you, you took care of him during that time. And the best thing probably, you know, we'll just get into the end of the, your story right here. But the best thing for you is that you didn't have a child with this person. Because if you did, then this would be constant and you would always, even though you think, oh, even I'm not with him anymore, you still have to deal with them in the sense of, you know, your child would have been affected in co-parenting, parallel parenting, or whatever you had to do. But, you know, for them, I'm sure, I guarantee you during that period of time that they were just saying to themselves, ooh, this has been a nice vacation. And because yeah. you were taking care of their problem, you just didn't know it yet. You're welcome. <laughs> um, and, you know, you brought up a point. We actually, we tried, um, we tried getting pregnant and we tried doing, we did IUI and we talked about going abroad to do IVF because it's so much cheaper. And uh, we didn't make it to that, the IVF round, thankfully, because as much as I always wanted a child versus a man-child husband. Um, yeah, I mean, to be connected with him for the rest of my life would be terrible. And my sister who has nieces, like she's cried thinking about the fact that she's like, I couldn't imagine if you ever had to put your child in a car with him to spend the weekend. Like we, we would all be so terrified and rightly so. Um, but I mean, the last May or June, I tried leaving him. I got so Sick of the fights, and I said, "That's it. I can't do this because I knew he wasn't going to change." And he turned on the tears and was like, "Is this really what you want?" And I said, "Yeah, I can't. Like, something has to change. Like, we have to go to therapy. You need anger management issues. We need counseling." And of course, he said he was going to change. Empty promises. And so, how does it end? 
say that again? How does it end? Well, it turns out he was cheating on me with Bear. Um, it had started easily November 2018. So I think a lot of this was projection. I think he had planned to leave me. Um, I think he was waiting for me to pay the second tax audit, to be honest with you, because remember, I tried to leave him. Mm-hmm. And he stuck around. He let me pay for that. Um he was so cold and so terrible to me. There were times where I got vulnerable with him. There was one time that I asked him for a hug, and it was like I was hugging a tree. Um, I was so upset. And, yeah, I mean, at first it didn't make sense. And then I got into his bank statement one night when he was going up to the mountains by himself when we were supposed to be there and just saw, you know, $120 dinner charges and $60 brunch charges and um, I've seen video of the two of them. And, yeah, he denied it all, told me I was a fool, told me I looked like an idiot. And I have all this proof, um, charges of nights when he didn't stay here when he was still living in my house and we were not legally separated. He was, like, eating barbecue in her podunk town about an hour away from where we live, and he really would have no reason to go there otherwise. Um, So he just denied, 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 um, came, picked up the rest of his stuff one day, and, um, I mean, once I mentioned a lawyer to him, even before I knew he was cheating, I said, well, he said, I'm leaving with what I came with. After I'd recommended mediation, and I was like, let's avoid lawyers, let's avoid court. And he said he didn't want mediation. He's leaving us what he came with. And um, obviously, before he moved out, when I approached him, I just was like, hey, I talked to a lawyer today just about writing up a settlement agreement. I mean, he lost his shit and um, started to get very nasty once a lawyer was mentioned, you know, people that got like arrested a lot, they, you know, he hated cops, he hated the police, he hated courts, he hated lawyers, whereas like those things have never, I've never done anything to hate those things because I don't, I'm not reckless. Um, and yeah, he moved out and on the last day of the year, he, uh, let me know around four thirty that he had kicked me off of his insurance, which we're still married until next, or I guess December of 2020, unfortunately. He claimed a one-time life exception, kicked me off of his insurance. Um, I need my phone number for work purposes. Like, I'm a real estate agent. I would have to keep my phone number. Um, he, like, basically held it over my head, uh, you know, once I come pick up the rest of my stuff, if, if everything goes smoothly, I'll let you keep your phone number because we were on the same plan. I didn't realize I could go to a different provider and keep the same number. People have since explained that to me. Um, refused, refused to pay me for the last month living here, um, is refusing to pay me back for the tax audit, as you can imagine, is refusing to sign the settlement agreement, which is odd because... It says I won't sue him and I won't sue her. And in case you didn't know, North Carolina is one of six states with a homewrecker law. I can sue her. And my lawyer said I have plenty of um, evidence to sue her. Um, but, yeah, he moved out at the end of December. We've I've been no contact with him um, since January 15th. 
Um, I was a mess. I was such a mess. Um, so I guess the uh, biggest thing here, you know, you put in so much work and effort to make everything work and unbeknownst to you, you you're, and you're dealing with a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff you don't deserve to deal with. And you're the one that was actually changing, not him. And then you find out that he really was seeing someone else for a, a good chunk of time who you had questioned and uh, he refuted and, and said that he, he, he denied everything. And now you're dealing with the fact that, well, you know, uh, all of these things that I did for him financially, was I being used? Was I just a pawn in this weird game that he plays and i guess how are you dealing with all of these different emotions and can you explain you know because i'm sure i didn't touch up on everything those kind of emotions that you were dealing with and how you've been feeling about everything uh shame guilt everything along those lines so i i there were definitely some dark days there i brought Ironically, before I realized he was cheating and I thought we were just getting divorced based off of two conspiracy theories, um, there were times I thought about taking my own life. Um, and it made more sense once I found out he was cheating, but like it also was very terrible um, because I felt um, just things started adding up and making sense, and I absolutely felt used, you know, I had long felt like his mother, um, but I felt like he definitely stuck around for me to pay that tax audit. And it's not all about money. It's, it's, it's about feeling used, um, and trying to get some justice of which I never will. Um, I had crazy anxiety. I was taking benzos every day, which was funny because, uh, or not funny because, you know, kind of the precipice of our relationship had to do with high-powered benzos, and here I am um, having to take them to get by day-to-day and on antidepressants. That gave me insomnia, and then the insomnia made me had to take Ambien, and I was in therapy. I still am in therapy, but I will tell you, well, one of the worst things was my sisters being so worried for me, like just seeing me and, like, crying because I was such a mess, like, I was such a strong person. And then I became just like, I became a shell of a person because I felt like, I felt like, I don't know, everything was fake and like the love of my life was gone and he had tricked me so much and like I could never trust people again. But I will say for this really, you know, when it happened, birthday was in December, then obviously Christmas and New Year's and all this. Um, I will say I've made tons of progress. Um, I probably, he probably takes up too much space in my head still, to be honest, but um, doing a lot of yoga, I'm not taking benzos anymore. I don't need to. Um, a lot of meditation, working out. I've lost 30 pounds. Like, 
hey, you want to fat shame me? I will make you regret that one day. Um, and getting these people back in my life that he isolated me from, like my friends and family are awesome. Um, I have been writing. I was, I studied English in college and I really like writing and it's just, my life is very different, but, um, like I remember sitting with my therapist and every time I, I sit with him, I think, gosh, the person that put me here should be in this chair. Like, a thousand times more than I should be. And again, everyone benefits from this, but it's just kind of funny that he'll probably never get therapy. But, um, you know, I remember telling my therapist that like life and like my work was kind of slowing down because I'm like, well, you know, my priority is working out in the morning. And then I sometimes can't meet a client because I'm here meeting with you, no offense. I was like, and then in the evening, I don't want my life to be drinking wine every night like it used to be. So I go to yoga and I go to meditation. The other day I was feeling bad about myself. So I went and did some retail therapy and he looked at me and he was like, well, he's like, all these are good things. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Like I, I am prioritizing myself, which was, you know, definitely not a priority for me for a couple of years. Um, So I'm taking all these positive steps. And like, when I think about where I was, you know, uh, taking Ambien at 830 in the morning after a night of insomnia and laying there stiff as a board, just thinking about my husband and his bear turned mistress. I mean, I, the progress has been, exceptional I would say um so I'm doing a lot better your podcast really helps it really does like makes me feel better my my wish for you is to you know take it easy on yourself you know you're relearning a lot of things and you're dealing with the trauma and I wish uh, nothing but the best for you and before we leave do you have any parting words Oh, man, don't ignore red flags. Please don't ignore red flags. Um, And don't think of someone's fragility before you think of your own mental health. Well, Divine, thank you for being (laughs) on this episode and sharing your story with everyone and for everyone else who is listening. I hope you have a good night. 